T to come and uh, read to us. Uh, we have Bibles uh, in the church, you'll be pleased to know. Um, they are available in the bookcase either to the front or there's one at the back. I realize many of you will have them on your phones. Uh, that's okay as well. Uh, but if you want to grab a hard copy of the Bible, do so. Thank you, Katie. Tonight's reading is taken from uh, Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17, and can be found on page 1175 of the Church Bibles. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Katie. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it can reveal new things to us every day. Lord, as we come to look at this passage together, would you speak to us afresh this evening? Would you speak not just to our heads, but to our hearts, that our whole lives will be of worship and of praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. I wonder where you uh, got to in chatting with one another about the difference between a Christian and uh, someone that's not yet a Christian. Uh, My wife and I are having a bit of a debate at the moment. We've just moved to one car in our house, and for my entire life, when I, well, my entire driving life anyway, I've always had a fish attached to the back of the car. Um, this is something that a lot of Christians do as a way of sort of showing uh, that you are a Christian in the car. Um, the fish has been a symbol of Christianity for thousands of years. And um, my, I always think it's a good idea to have a fish on the back of the car. I don't think um, you need to go quite as far as some people at New Wine do and have a whole aquarium on the back. Uh, I think that's probably pushing it a bit far. But if you do that, then bless you. I don't think it's a problem. Um, my wife, on the other hand, thinks that my driving is not of a standard that would bless uh, people and would um, honor the name of Jesus by them knowing that I am a Christian. And there's a bit of truth in that, isn't there? I could have a T-shirt on that says, I am a Christian, and then walk down Lem High Street and uh, throw bottles through windows, swear at people, and drink. I don't do most of those things, Um, most, uh, most of the time. Uh, But I could do those things. And if you saw me doing that, you would question the statement that was on my T-shirt, wasn't it? Wouldn't you? There was a survey done in America a couple of years ago now, and it found that 90% of people there knew a Christian. However, just 10% of them saw that being a Christian made a difference in that person's life. 90% of people knew a Christian, just 10% saw a difference in that person's life. And it's the age-old question that if we were arrested tomorrow on the charge of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? Well, our passage this evening speaks into a culture which, as Jonathan said last week, is a fairly interesting one. We read here in Ephesians 4 verse 19 that they have lost all sensuality, given in to all kinds of impurity, and they're full of greed. And so the bulk of our passage for this evening talks to the Christian who lives in the society that they find themselves in. But there is always a need to put any passage that we read in the context that we find it. This is no exception. We're over halfway through the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, halfway through chapter 4. And it's only here that Paul begins to speak to the church in Ephesus about lifestyle choices. Paul doesn't tell the church in Ephesus what to do uh, until he's spent a great deal of time telling them who they are. We've looked at um, Ephesians over the last uh, few months, and we've heard about the fact that Paul tells us that we about every spiritual blessing which comes from knowing Christ. We've read that we are chosen, loved, and saved. We've read that we are destined for good's work, good works. And last week we heard about the gifts that are on offer to his children. But our passage this evening is focused on the world, And Paul says to the church, this is not the way you have learned when you heard about Christ. So my first point this evening is that we need to know what it is to learn about Christ. We need to know what it is to be with Christ, to be with Jesus. If you've been around for the last year, you'll know we've spent the best part of a year thinking about what it is to be with Jesus. 
Um, they say that preachers only have one talk. I'm not sure that's true because I think Jonathan's got at least two. Um, but uh, if, if they do, this is my one talk. What it is to be with Jesus. Why is it important? Why do we need to think about this first? Well, John Stott put it like this. How we act is primarily informed by how we think. And how we think is primarily informed by who we are. How we act is primarily informed by how we think. And how we think is primarily informed by who we are. We won't see the transformation that Paul talks about in this passage unless we learn, unless we know Christ. I was fortunate enough to go to um, UCCF's forum over the summer to the student leaders gathering part of that and heard a chap called Marcus Honeywell speak there. Uh, Marcus was a vicar in London until recently and fairly heavily connected with uh, University College London and their Christian Union. And he discovered that uh, the Christian Union there weren't particularly good at mission. They weren't particularly good at sharing their faith with their friends and their colleagues. And so he went to one of their CU meetings and he said, can somebody tell me on the one occasion that you do share the gospel with a friend, what it is that is your primary motivation for doing that? Well, he was a speaker in front of a load of people asking a question, so nobody put their hand up, as you can expect. Um, but after a while, a brave person put their hand up and they said, my primary motivation is that you tell me that I should. And Marcus said that his heart broke in that moment. What they were doing was coming out of some form of misunderstanding about Christian duty, rather than out of hearts which are overflowing with grace and with love. So my second point is if we want to be, trans we want to be transformed by Jesus... But if we need to do that, if we want to do that, we first need to know Jesus. As John Stott says, what we do comes out of how we think. What we think comes out of how uh, we are. So Paul talks in this second point, uh, Paul talks in this second uh, passage from verse 28 onwards about all the ways that we should be seeing transformation by Jesus. He says that we need to put off falsehood and speak truth. He says, in your anger, do not, let sin, uh, do not sin in your anger, and do not let the sun go down whilst you're still angry. He tells anyone stealing that they mustn't steal anymore and put their hands to good work. He says not to let unwholesome talk come from your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And he says that we need to get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every kind of malice being kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. Now this list of do's and don'ts from Paul isn't meant to be an exclusive list. If we just do all of these things, uh, we can consider ourselves a Christian. Paul again is speaking specifically into the church in Ephesus. But sometimes we can read a passage like this and be slightly overwhelmed by it. We can be in danger of just picking and choosing the parts of this that we want to agree with, that we find easy to agree with, and think, well, not worry about the rest. But Paul calls us to put off the old and put on the new. 
Um, a few years ago, I was walking into work, uh, and I'm sure this has happened to you. It was a rainy day, and there was a massive puddle on the side of the road, and a car drove through it and completely soaked me from head to toe. Now, after I'd shared the joy of the Lord uh, with that particular driver, I went home, uh, I finished my time of praise and gladness, um, and I went home and I got changed. Um, now, I had a problem. You may have noticed I don't often wear shoes here. I don't often wear shoes most of the time, and usually only have one or two pairs. At that time, I only had one pair of shoes, and they were completely soaking wet. But I thought, it'll be okay. The rest of me has changed. It'll be okay. You probably see what happened after about five or ten minutes of walking back to work again. My socks were soaking, having been soaked by the shoes. The bottom of my trousers were beginning to get wet from the socks and the shoes being wet. I needed to take off the old and put on the new. We are a new creation. We read earlier in Ephesians that God has raised us up in Christ in the and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Almost always when we see in scripture a change of robes or a change of uniform, it's in line with a change of status. Our status has changed. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We need to take off the old and put on the new. And if you haven't seen areas of your life transformed by being a Christian, then may I gently suggest you go back again to that first point of what it means to be with Jesus. Now, of course, what I'm not saying is that overnight we are completely transformed into a new being. If you've been around, if you've been a Christian more than about three minutes, you will know that we all still struggle with things. How do we see those change? I think the key for us is in verse 23. It says this in a different translation. It says, be renewed in the attitude of your minds. Or as it says in a similar verse in Romans, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word renew in both passages almost always relates to the work of the Holy Spirit and almost always relates to a work which is meant to be continuing, which is meant to go on and on and on. We must come before the Lord and pray again for him to transform us and renew us by his Holy Spirit. And when we mess up, as we will, as we do, of course we have grace, of course we have forgiveness, but it's not an excuse to give up. We need to continue to see the renewal of our minds. If we don't, it'll be a bit like putting the shoes on and the socks getting wet and the bottom of the trousers getting wet. Verse 27 says, do not give the enemy a foothold. By not renewing our minds, we're opening the door to the work of the evil one in our lives. It's a bit like leaving a window or a door open at home and just allowing a thief to come in, or allowing someone to come into your garden and plant weeds. We wouldn't do that, so why do we do this? And of course, this will take effort. D.A. Carson, a Canadian theologian, put it like this. I think it's on the screen. People do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. 
We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. We need grace-driven effort in our lives to see this continual renewing of our mind. And there's another danger in this passage, I think, particularly if we read it out of context. And that is we simply say, actually, do you know what? I can do all of these things. I haven't stolen anything. I don't really lie to people. I'm not an angry person. I'm not full of malice or bitterness. No unwholesome talk comes from my mouth. I can do all of these things. We can do all of these things in our own strength. I think perhaps that's the surefire way to failure. We are to be imitators of Christ and to follow his example. Jesus says in John uh, chapter 5, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. If Jesus is 100% reliant on God, how much more so do we need to be reliant on God in our lives? That's my final point this evening, that we need to be reliant on Jesus. Monday was a particularly difficult day for me. It was difficult for me in what, for one reason and one reason alone. It was a very busy day full of wonderful meetings with lovely people. However, I put, didn't put the priorities right at the beginning of the day. I didn't bring myself before the Lord and give the day to him because I was too busy. I had too much to do. I didn't do it in the middle of the day when I was feeling fairly stressed and tired. I didn't do it even when I was prayed for by three wonderful people from this congregation who prayed prophetically into my life about areas that I know um, I need to release and give to God. God spoke through them to me and said, Adam, give this day to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And yet still, I spent the rest of the day believing that I could do it in my own strength. We all get this wrong from time to time. Some of you may remember the song, When the Going Gets Tough, The Tough Gets Going. Some of you may not. Of course, it was written in 1986, before a number of you were born. Um, only just shortly after I was born. Um, that's all right. I've never quite understood it was Billy Ocean that wrote the song, quite what he meant by that. Either it's when the going gets tough, the tough get going. When the going gets tough, the tough disappear. Or it means, which I think it possibly does mean, when the going gets tough, the tough pull up their sleeves and they get going, they get going on with things. Now I'm petitioning to rephrase that song as follows. When the going gets tough, and when it doesn't, the tough and the not-so-tough get God. I realize it's not as pithy. I apologize. I don't think it will rhyme as well in the song. But you get the point. Each day we should be saying to ourselves, as the old hymn has it, I need thee, oh, I need thee. I've talked to you about some of my failures today. I want to talk to you about a success, not in my life, uh, but in the life of my dear old mum. Actually, scrap the old, because she listens to this sometimes. She won't be happy. Um, 
My mum, my, my dad passed away about uh, 22, 23 years ago when I was quite young. And a couple of days after he died, a friend of hers sent her this card. Um, and it says, Lord, help me to remember that nothing is going to happen today that you and I can't handle together. That card has been by the side of her bed for the last 22 and a half years. It's been by the side of her bed and it's been a pray- prayer that she has said every single day for 22 and a half years. She said it in the deepest, darkest days following the death of my dad. She said it in the happiest days, seeing her children married and have children of their own. She's, as some of you know, in hospital at the moment. Uh, She's got it in the hospital by the side of her bed and says this prayer every morning that she wakes up. I think some of us need to be reminded that there is nothing that will happen to us, that together with God, we cannot handle. Now, I was reflecting a bit on this. As I say, on Monday was a bit of a long day uh, for me. I got to the end of the day, and you'll be pleased to know, realized the error of my ways, and spent a a time uh, in prayer and coming before the Lord. And I hadn't had a chance to do my Bible in a year reading until that point. Uh, And we were in Isaiah chapter 29, and these verses, it says this. These people come near me with their mouth and honor me, with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules that they have been taught. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. God has been speaking to me through these verses, particularly as I prepared for this evening. How often is our worship, how often is our life coming before the Lord with our mouths, honoring him, with our lips, but not necessarily acknowledging him in our hearts. If we fully understand this, if we are people who are with Jesus, who are being transformed by Jesus, who are fully reliant on Jesus, I wonder what we would see. John Wesley famously said, give me a hundred people who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and they would shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. We should be imitating God. We should be seeing our lives transformed, as Paul says in this passage. But we need to remember, as John Stott said, that all that we do comes out of what we think, and all that we think comes out of who we are. I wonder, will you stand with me as I pray and the band come back? I want to start uh, by firstly leading us in a prayer of repentance, a prayer saying sorry to to God for the times when we have come near him with our mouths and honored him with our lips, but our hearts have been far from him. Lord, we are sorry. Lord, we thank you that you love us so much, that you long for us to be in deeper relationship with you. Now, I suspect for each of you, there'll be a point here that has spoken particularly. Perhaps the need to be with Jesus, to know him, to learn of him, to know of him more. Perhaps you know there are areas of your lives that need to be transformed by Jesus. Perhaps you need to say again, Lord, I trust you and I rely on you.
Let's just have a moment of silence as we reflect on that together. <laughs> 